Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fantasy Pros Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Sylvester, and I'm on Twitter at BobbyFantasyPro if you want to follow me. Our guest today is Scott White of CBS Sports, and he's on Twitter at CBS Scott White. Scott, really busy time of the year. Everyone's about to be doing their drafts, and we really appreciate you coming on to talk to us today about your favorite busts. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's always our pleasure. And uh, Scott, like I mentioned, we're going to be doing busts. I guess they're not your favorite busts, like I said, uh, but we're going to be going through, you know, about 10 each, just counting back and forth like we did with the last episode uh, where we talked about sleepers. And uh, I wanted to do something first before we jump into a little bit of news and then we'll get into our busts. So we ran a poll the other day and I wanted to see who your most undervalued player was from this poll. Aaron Judge, ADP 17. Whit Merrifield, ADP 30. Chris Bryant, ADP 33, and Carlos Correa, ADP 49. I've been seeing these names come up everywhere as uh, people that everyone thinks are undervalued. Well, that's interesting uh, because that sounds pretty close to the way I have them. Uh, Carlos Correa, I mean, you could understand there's first round upside there. That's where he'd been. Sure. That's where he had been getting drafted before last year and everything that went wrong with his back. So, you know, from an upside perspective, I, I get that. But there's so much upside to be had at shortstop that I feel like uh, even if it even if he is Carlos Correa, perfectly healthy, perfectly fine, he's not the standout he used to be. How much better is he than Paul DeYoung, who's going 100 picks later? Oh, I think considerably more upside than okay. Paul DeYoung. Uh, maybe not in the power category specifically. Sure. But in terms of overall impact, it, it's you know it's it's a big difference. But it, I'm more thinking in terms of. Carlos Correa compared to like this newer form of Xander Bogarts or Corey Seager. It's, you know, if you're willing to invest an early round pick in a shortstop, you have a lot of options. Yeah. Our poll uh, had Carlos Correa as number one. His ADP, like I mentioned, is 49. I wouldn't quite take him there just because I was writing up my shortstop rankings article earlier today. There's 17 guys I wouldn't mind having. I mean, I remember a decade ago when I was playing fantasy baseball and it was like, man, if I got shortstop number seven, I was mad. I didn't like my team at all because there were no options. But here we are, 17 deep at shortstop that I'd feel comfortable with. So I don't feel like you need to get Carlos Correa at the end of the fourth, early fifth round. For me, I would vote for Whit Merrifield in this poll. Everyone who listens to my podcast knows that I'm a big Merrifield guy. Obviously going to get you batting average, stolen bases, runs. Not so bad with power either. Uh, he's durable. Um, yeah, he's kind of like a weaker a, position. Yeah, yeah a weaker position as well. He's kind of like a Trey Turner light. And I mentioned this, I don't remember who I was talking to, but essentially, if you trade 15 home runs for 15 stolen bases, pretty similar to Jose Ramirez, just a lesser lineup. Hmm. That's um, in terms of the consensus projections, not in terms of, you know, what they've done in the past. So, you know, taking a look at five or six uh, projection models. So I like Whit Merrifield a lot this year. Uh, Scott, I want to jump on over and talk about um, some news. It just We just found out that Luis Severino isn't going to return before May. Now, these shoulder issues, they can be a really big deal. At this point, would you draft him in your top 20 starting pitchers? I think he might be barely hanging on to the top 20. Just yeah. because I feel like there's such a big gap between... Uh, and and this, is, this is maybe the definitive... Um, the, the definitive have or have not area in fantasy baseball today is... Are you an ace or aren't you? Because if you're not, if you're a pitcher and you're not an ace, the amount of impact you're going to make on a team is is significantly lessened right up front. And you know, it's not like the good old days where you could expect, oh, this guy has great ratios. We know his innings are going to keep building up, and he's going to emerge as an ace eventually. Yeah, I I, I feel like we're at a place now where if you haven't seen them deliver those elite ratios over an elite workload, you you can't necessarily assume they're going to well Severino has done it two years in a row now so you know it may only be five six of the seasons where he does it instead of the whole season but it's still it's still a really valuable player and I think this is a good opportunity to buy him I mean even before today I don't know about you I was expecting him to return late April I mean this doesn't sound like a drastic change in timetable to me yeah yeah I've got him at number 19 right now in the same range as Clayton Kershaw James Paxton uh, Paxton averages 110 innings per year, and I feel like Severino's a better talent than Paxton, so I've got him ahead of him, but I'd rather have someone like Zach Grinke, Mike Clevenger, that I trust to get me 180 innings, and and decent ratio is going to pick up the wins. The Ks will pile up because of the volume of innings. With that said, yeah, if Severino drops, I'll still take him in my top 20. I did want to bring this up, however. So I was looking at Rich Hill's stats since 2015. Obviously, he's getting older and everything, but 
2.98 ERA, 1.05 whip, 10.6 Ks per nine. And Severino last year was worse in all those categories. If Luis Severino is going to miss an entire month, the reason Rich Hill's dinged is because of innings concerns. So why is Rich Hill not being drafted in that similar range to you, Scott? I think, and and maybe this maybe this doesn't apply so much to Rich Hill because I think on a start by start basis the innings are are actually pretty good. But it's you know it's it's there's innings total which is a worthy part of the discussion, and it's there's how how much of those innings you're contributing on a start by start basis, which is influencing your wins potential. It's yeah. influencing how many um, you know strikeouts you're delivering all at once, even to a greater extent than, than like K per nine are. Um, if you're getting the innings in a start, you're going and you're, you're, you know, at least a strikeout per inning, you're going to get a lot of strikeouts. Uh, I actually think Rich Hill does throw six plus innings pretty consistently. So maybe he's not the best example of that. It, it would be more of a case of you just don't know when the injuries are going to pop up for Rich Hill and how many there are going to be. And, you know, it's once Severino gets back, I, I'm assuming we're going to be able to bank on him the rest of the way. Definitely not the case for Rich Hill. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good way to put it. And you never know when he's going to hit the wall. He turns 39 years old this year. He does have 25 and 24 starts in each of the last two years. So I've got a lot of shares. With that said, I'm not, um, you know, it's it's not like I'm ignoring the fact that there's some risks there. And we also found out that uh, Fulte Newitz is going to be out until late April. Maybe this one lingers a little bit longer. Now, he was on my do not draft list to begin with, but I've now got him moved outside my top 30, right behind guys like Cal Hendricks, Charlie Morton, and Chris Archer. Yes, uh, I I know I have him behind some of those guys, and I I was down on him too before the elbow stuff popped up. I, just in terms of his production last year, it it didn't really add up to um, some of the underlying numbers like swinging strike rate. Um, you know, I think his his ERA was much lower than the FIP. Good BABIP luck, good home run luck, I think, which wouldn't even be reflected in FIP, you know, so maybe even more downside beyond the FIP. Yeah. So there are reasons to be concerned about him even before you get to the health issue. And I haven't seen yet him fall enough for me to say, okay, this elbow injury has actually made him a value. I could see that scenario happening where he falls to a point that I am willing to gamble on. Okay. Maybe, maybe he just figured something out that isn't reflected in the normal um, indicators that I look at. And sure. he ends up being a near ace again. Uh, I, there there would be a point where I'm willing to take a chance on it. And I think it's more likely now with this elbow injury, but I haven't seen it happen yet. How deep would he have to go? Would he have to be in the range of guys like Tyler Glass now, UC Kikuchi, Shane Bieber? Would you even take him at that point? I think, yeah, I would take him at that point. It would be, um, and I'm kind of thinking of my own rankings as opposed to ADP. But he he tends to go before Miles Michaelis or no? Yeah he yeah he does about twenty thirty picks. But with the injury, I would expect he, he'll probably fall to about that range. Right. So once Miles Michaelis, like Zach Wheeler, uh, that group is going off the board, then I think it's appropriate to take a t- chance on Fultonevich. I don't feel like you're sacrificing as much at that point. Um, okay. And, you know, if if we if we do see last year as the ceiling for him, it's a pretty good ceiling. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it definitely is a good ceiling. I, w- I would agree with everything you said there. And I wanted to name guys that I like. Um, everyone who listens to the show knows I like Glass now and knows I wouldn't mind getting Kikuchi or Shane Bieber. Just because I want to say, if Fulte Newitz falls and those guys are all on the board, I like them. But still take Fulte Newitz because it's a great value. He's going to slide in drafts as people see this news. And he's not someone I especially liked. But, um, you know, same with Carlos Martinez. If he gets outside the top 200 picks... I think you've got a potential number two or number three starting pitcher for fantasy on your hands um, outside the top 200 picks. Sure, there's a chance he ends up in the bullpen. Sure, there's a chance he's injured for the full season, but there's also a chance that he really helps you. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of upside you target late in drafts. I, I think that's something people have to keep in mind with bus picks. And I, I don't think the industry as a whole is is particularly good at this, like acknowledging what you don't know (laughs) like there's a lot i don't know you know predicting this stuff is is hard so while my bus picks i am avoiding them certainly at their going rates there's a point when i take any of them you're exactly right chance i'm dead wrong about them and you know there's a reason they're going as high as they do 
So, Scott, let's transition into the bus, and uh, I'll let you go first. Basically, when we say bus, what we're talking about is we're looking at their ADP, and we think that there's a chance that uh, they will not come anywhere close to hitting it. That doesn't mean we wouldn't draft them near their ADP. It just means, hey, they've got a chance to bust. They could really kill your season at where they're going. So, Scott, why don't you start us off? Who do you have as your first bust? Okay, so this isn't necessarily in any type of order or anything. I don't know if we were thinking a countdown or whatever. <laughs> I don't have an order either. I usually do. So yeah, no countdown today. We'll just kind of uh, wing it and see what we got. All right, but I'm going to start with somebody who's on the lower end of this list. Um, Ahmed Rosario, I have as a bust. I have him on my do not draft list too. I'm glad to hear this. Okay, yeah, I, I do not get the hype whatsoever. Whatsoever, really. Like I understand there's a desperate need for stolen bases, and I understand he contributed 24 of them last year, and the rate went way up the last couple months of the season when he was batting leadoff, which he obviously isn't going to do now with the players the Mets added this offseason. He's going to bat low in the order. So who knows if he even maintains that pace, which is already a question because it wasn't a good success rate. So yeah, 24 steals, I don't see him breaking out with 40. I think there's a good chance he takes a step back. And then beyond that, he's not a very good hitter. I mean, he he did hit 280 over those final two months where he was batting leadoff, but he had not to completely, <laughs> completely sacrifice what little power he already had to do it. And terrible on base skills there's probably upside he hasn't shown yet just because he's a former top prospect and i get that but uh you know he's he's not being priced like uh you know it's just a, a hope and a prayer situation people are drafting him like he's already a must-start shortstop it's crazy i don't really understand it i'd rather have guys like a uh, lord Escorial jr uh andrelton simmons who's at least consistent year to year and isn't going to kill you garrett hampson he's got that upside chris taylor even plays 500 at bats and he's a good source of power and speed I think that Francisco Lindor kind of ruined this type of prospect for people in fantasy baseball. Um, and I mean the opposite of ruined, actually, in that everyone thinks, well, glove first prospect, that must mean that, you know, he's also got a bat. Well, no, Rosario's just a, glo- a glove first prospect. And uh, the offense, I don't think it's going to get much better than we've seen. Uh, just because he was a top prospect, I don't think means he has that much more upside with the bat. Maybe a dozen homers. Maybe he bats 260. I think that's his cap. But with 25 stolen bases, that's nice for a depth piece. But somebody that you're going to draft at that stage in the draft? Uh, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of ADP, he's actually going ahead. I think I have this right. Ahead of Billy Hamilton, which is yeah, that's like nuts. if you want steals, Billy Hamilton's going to give you twice as many. <laughs> yeah, and you his know? batting average is going to hurt you, but not that much sure, more than Rosario. Sure. And pro- Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're they're probably equal in terms of hitting skills. Maybe Rosario a little more power. But in terms, like, if you want steals, take Hamilton. It's I've got Hamilton. Yeah, I've got Hamilton a lot higher than other people. Um, I've got him higher than Aloy Jimenez, Nomar Mazzara, D. Gordon, Aaron Hicks. Well, Aaron Hicks is banged up now, so that shouldn't really surprise people. But, yeah, I, w- I would reach for Billy Hamilton. There's upside for 60 steals here again. Absolutely. I think, you know, it, it seemed like mostly man- managerial decision why Hamilton dropped off last year to, yeah. I think it was 34 steals. Uh we know what the manager's decision is going to be in KC. You don't bring in Billy Hamilton when you already had the stolen base leader in Whit Merrifield and the um, guy who was on the stol- best stolen base pace over half a season at Alberto yeah. Mondesi and, and then not have Hamilton run. <laughs> are are you a big like Mondesi three. fan? Yes, I am. He was the number one fantasy baseball player from July 1st on, and his ADP in ESPN leagues is outside the top 100 Scott, yeah. I have him in every single league, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I just ignore the ESPN ADP for for him. And there are a few others that are just such outliers. But he him especially Strange. like but basically every other site has him going around fortieth in ADP, which is where yeah. I love to take him. Uh, I and I was down like going into the offseason when I was just I, I start out ranking players position by position, uh, just because I think it's it's easier to it's an easier bite to take. Yeah. Um and ranking him within shortstops, all those great shortstops, I was like, okay, there's a lot more risk here with Mondesi. He's going to be like ninth for me or whatever. Yeah, he could he could be down in the minor leagues by the end of the season and bat 220, just like Jonathan VR did in 2017 after his big breakout. But there's upside. He's the best fantasy baseball player. Yes, and I actually think the downside is overstated too. I I I don't think there's much risk of him being sent down. I people make the Byron Buxton comparison. Like, yeah, he's, you're right. Nobody's going to take his job in Kansas City. You're exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. He's a building block. He is a defensive standout at shortstop. 
And beyond that, I mean, Buxton was striking out a third of the time. Mondesi doesn't make a lot of contact, but in the modern sense, his strikeout rate's not that bad. He doesn't walk at all, but he, his strikeout rate really isn't that bad. His his yeah. BABIP last year was like 335. It wasn't insane. It was a little high. Well, you can uh, expect that to I, be high just, with someone so fast. Exactly. It You would expect it to be high. So... I, when it came, when push came to shove, and I started mixing positions and factoring in more statistical scarcity and how hard it is to find stolen bases, like, it just became obvious you have to take this guy in like round three or four because his chant, like he's so uniquely, un- uniquely qualified in a five by five league. Uh, like if you know, you just pr- project out last year's numbers over a full season. It, it's like twenty eight homers. 65 steals okay he's not going to do that so dial it back a little to 20 and 50 there's still probably nobody else in the player pool who's going to do that in the entire player pool so it's just it, it's 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 just too impactful to pass up i 100 agree all right i'm going to move on to uh to my first bust and this is going to make a lot of people mad but i figured i might as well get this out of the way right from the get-go and scott you may be one of these guys because i know you're a big prospect guy like myself and I wanted to love Juan Soto this year because when you look at him, you prorate his games out to a, a full season's pace. He was better than Alex Bregman last year, who's going in the top in, in the first round, right? But you look at Juan Soto's batted ball stats, his home run to fly ball ratio, entirely unsustainable. I do believe in the sophomore slump when the pitchers can see a big hole in someone's game. Ronald Acuna doesn't have that hole. He hits every single t- pitch type really well. He goes to the opposite field. He's patient. He stopped chasing pitches out of the zone last year, and that's when he really took off. Juan Soto has some big holes. Juan Soto does not hit breaking balls well. In fact, he was horrible against them. Doesn't hit the ball well uh, away. He doesn't hit the ball well, uh, make hard contact low in the zone. And I think the pitchers are going to exploit this a little bit. Granted, I think he's going to have an incredible career, but where he's going right now, I think there's a little bit too much risk for me to take him. And I, I do think that he is going to bust and disappoint a lot of you guys. Yeah, I mean, if, if in the context of bust that we're talking about here, which includes disappointments, I, I see it. I, I think the chances of him like busting and just leaving everybody who drafted him like, oh, my yeah, God, I mean, his OPS is still going to be above 800. <laughs> no doubt about it. Right? right. Like he has so much to work with just because he. He's, he controls the strike zone so well. He makes a ton of contact. I I I hear you on like he can't hit so many ground balls. Um, I mean he got away with it last year, so maybe he can. But you would, sure. you would think that's going to be a problem for him. But he's also so young, and like I I feel like just if if last year is the starting point, factoring in the amount of growth that's going to like there's that. The ceiling is is enormous. He, he so never even I, played in AAA. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't draft him a lot, but I don't feel like it's unfair where he's going. I just I just have higher priorities at that point. Yeah, what I'm trying to say is I'm not saying he's going to be like Gregory Polanco, where you're drafting him in the top 40, and all of a sudden he's going to be just horrendous. I'm saying he's. I think he's going to end up around the same range as Eddie Rosario, Yasiel Puig, Tommy Pham, Marcelo Zuna. Those guys yeah. are going 40 picks later. Yeah, I, I I see what you're saying. Obviously, the upside is higher than that group, except for maybe Tommy Pham, but he has other issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, glad. You like Tommy Pham again this year? Because I remember you were on him last year with me. Oh, yeah. I was. I, the thing is, I, I think eventually I was, my enthusiasm was proven right once he got to the Rays and, yeah. you know, had the, the you know, there, there seemed, I, I don't think everything was so cozy there for him in St. Louis and, and he maybe hated that it. reflected the numbers too. Um, it really seemed like, uh, the Rays lowballed him in that deal and were able to get him and he was great. I think the upside's huge. I mean, five category contributor who walks a ton, but you never know when his vision issues are going to pop up. He's hurt all the time. And he just seems to have these mechanical glitches that pop up and he needs to work on. And it's just, it's, 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 it's nerve wracking owning him. So I'm not gung ho about him, but I think you still have to acknowledge the upside, which is very high. I'm still getting him everywhere. And I I think I shared this stat a couple episodes ago, but for those of you who may have missed it in the last two seasons, Tommy Pham has eight more homers than Ben Intendi, same number of steals, 10 extra runs. He's lower on, on RBIs. 10 points better in batting average, and he did all this in 34 fewer games. Benintendi's going 40 spots higher than him in drafts. Yeah. Yeah, Benintendi's another another one who I don't think... 
I quite understand the hype. Yeah, I was going to put him on this bust list, but like it's he's not exactly a bust. I just expect him to be about the same type of player as he yeah. has been, and that's not someone you draft in the top 30. Right, he's too boring for an early round pick. And usually I like to play it safe in the early rounds, but you know, you know, there's, I guess there's just some so many other choices I think that he's got there. the upside to suddenly become the AL MVP. I'm not seeing it. He's yeah. a great real-life player, but in terms of fantasy, I think he's locked in at 20-20 with a good batting average and lots of runs. That's good. I'm not taking it in the top 30, though. Maybe if he ended up in Milwaukee like Christian Yelich did. Yeah. But uh, Boston's a tough place for a left-handed hitter to hit. You're right. All right, Scott, who do you have for us next? All right, so let's just bounce from the extreme low end to the extreme high end here and go Javier Baez. Oh, took the name right off my list. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a path for Baez to be as good as he was last year, but it's asking so much from him. He It depended on him having an outlier BABIP like 350-ish and an outlier home run to fly ball rate for him to put up those numbers. Yeah. And when you have as bad a plate discipline as he does, it's it, it things can quickly spiral out of control. And um he could end up being a bust in in the truest sense where he's, you know, hitting 270 with 20 homers and 15 steals again. I I think that's just as much on the table as what he did last year. Um I on the one hand, I feel kind of encouraged that he has consistently delivered that really high BABIP. I think it's three years in a row now. But on the other hand, it led to a 270 batting average prior to last year because he wasn't homering at near the same pace. So I just, it's hard to tell how much of that is growth, how much of it is luck, and how much of it is just randomness. And um, and where did the 21 stolen bases come from? I don't understand that. He was stealing 10 per season. Yeah, uh, I mean, he could run a little bit, but that's that's true. Uh, will it be quite the same pace? I don't know. There, there's just there's too many reasons for concern at the range you'd have to take him. That's right. Also, his RBIs are going to come down. He's not going to lead the National League in RBIs. Again. There's a chance, I guess, but I wouldn't expect it. And I'm looking at StatCast, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage. He was the single luckiest hitter in Major League Baseball last year. His batting average was 26 points higher than it actually should have been, according to uh, batted ball stats. Slugging percentage was four uh, was 554, should have been 491. That is a huge drop-off to expect. You want to talk about regression. I don't know if he's going to have... I don't think that Christian Yelich is going to have anywhere near as much regression as Javi Baez. Yeah, I mean, there's there are things that we know Christian Yelich for sure does well. I don't know if hitting home runs is one of them, but everything else he did last year I think is... Totally fine. And, you know, the downside for home runs at Miller Park, 20, if we're saying the downside. I, you know, if I'm setting an over-under for Christian Yelich home runs this year, I, I think I'm going like 29.5. Agreed. Which is yeah. still a big drop from 37, but I, I think some people are going overboard uh, projecting his home run total this year, even recognizing it was the highest home run fly ball rate home run to fly ball rate in baseball by a good margin. He's always been top five in average exit velocity. The only difference is he went from the worst single park um, for power hitters to one of the best in Milwaukee. And that is that should be expected for about a 38, I, I believe it was, percent bump in home OPS. And that's exactly what he got. Now, the difference was um, that he continued to get better in his road games, which is what's happened throughout his career. He's just a really good hitter. I don't think he drops back all that much. I'm still taking him in the first round. Yeah, me too. All right, sticking with the guys that are going to make people mad, and I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people defending Reese Hoskins. Anytime I say something negative about him, my timeline just blows up on Twitter. People are so mad that I'm comparing him to Miguel Sano, but when you look at their per 162 game averages, same player, folks, except the difference. Well, Miguel Sano's out for a month, but they're going 150 spots apart. I think I think Reese Hoskins is closer to Randall Grichik in terms of expectations than he is Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger at 39 home runs in 132 games as a 21-year-old. When Reese Hoskins was 21, he was batting 237 against single-A pitching. Cody Bellinger has so much more upside. Everyone's saying, well, how can you possibly rank Cody Bellinger ahead of Reese Hoskins? Well, because Reese Hoskins is going to bat 245. Yeah, he's got some power, but you can get that power with crummy batting averages. 100, 200, 400 picks later in the case of Mark Trumbo. I think you're painting 
maybe the least favorable scenario there for <laughs> Hopkins by saying he's going to hit 245. I mean, I understand he did last year, but there was, I guess, I mean, he threw so many comparisons in there. It's hard to tell. Sorry. <laughs> Probably the fairest was Bellinger. And the difference between Hoskins and Bellinger for me is that we don't know for sure that Bellinger is going to play every day this year. Probably. I, I, the Dodgers, you don't think, I think so? He played 162 games last year. A lot of them at the end were off the bench, though. The last two weeks of the season, the Dodgers faced seven left-handed pitchers, and I think Bellinger was in the lineup for one of them. His numbers were bad against left-handers. The Dodgers have a ton of lefty mashers they're trying to work into the lineup. And, I mean, if you if you compare Bellinger against lefties versus Max Muncy against lefties, there's no comparison who the Dodgers should start against lefties if we're not if we're taking development out of the equation, and it's Muncie. Uh, but, you know, they were both sitting down the stretch against left-handers. You know, Bellinger was fine against lefties in his rookie season, so maybe it was just a fluky thing. I think the Dodgers are certainly going to get him, give him the chance to play every day from the get-go, but just knowing their tendencies, I, I have concerns about Bellinger um, sitting a couple times a week in the long run. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the reason I would rank Hoskins over him. It doesn't mean Bellinger's on my bust list, but I think that's a, val- I think that's a concern that maybe isn't factoring into your assessment there. Uh, Bellinger has been phenomenal for a kid, um, and he does steal some bases, but um, with that said, last year was a bit of a disappointment. We'll see with Hoskins. I, I'm going to get a lot of tweets. You can bring it on, at Bobby Fantasy Pro, because there's a lot of Hoskins defenders out there, but I've got him on zero of my teams. I wouldn't take him if he dropped 30 picks. All right, Scott, who do you have for us next? Uh, so let's go with, maybe this is an obvious one, but Madison Bumgarner. Another name from my list. I love it. Yeah. N- no shares of Madison Bumgarner. To this point, he hasn't fallen an area where I'm comfortable drafting him. He just hasn't been the same since the dirt bike accident two years ago. You're right. Velocity's been down, swinging strike rate down. And it, it, those took another step back last year. And... uh I think what may have been most revealing is the walks went way up. We're not used to seeing him being a walk guy, but he he couldn't live in the zone as much with his stuff and still be successful. Also, the home away splits. Obviously, San Francisco, a great place to pitch. Look at what he did on the road. It's kind of a disaster. I think he's hanging by a thread right now. He's he's getting by on on uh, guile, and uh, the the stuff is diminished to a point where I'm not. I mean, I don't know that you can ever expect anybody to get back diminished stuff, but uh, this is more than he. This is like a year and a half long trend now, and I think he's. I I think this is who he is, and there's a lot of downside. This is a typical timeline with pitchers, right? I mean, when they throw so many innings, how many he threw two hundred innings, six straight seasons. He pitched all those innings in the playoffs as well. And this yeah. is about what you expect. Everyone thought that you know this is just a horse. He's one of those rare cases where he's going to, um, you know break the expectations, but I don't think that that's the case. You look at what he's done in the last few years, and especially last year. If you look at his ex-fip, 74th out of 106 starting pitchers with at least 120 innings, he was behind Jose Arena, Ivan Nova, Derek Holland. That's not very good, folks. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. It's like the one thing I'm holding on to is, uh, maybe this isn't even worth bringing up, but <laughs> he was really <laughs> overpowering last spring, and then he broke his hand. So. The kind of the broken hand that sidelined him at the start of last year. I'm not really sure how to fit that in with everything else. But yeah, I mean, so many innings on that arm at such a young age, especially when you factor in how deep the Giants went in the playoffs three times. And he was like that Kansas City series, especially <laughs> like they just abused him. Yeah, so uh, it, 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 it may be done. I mean, Felix Hernandez ended up being kind of the same way. I think it was, you're right. He was a little Perfect. older, but that's, I think, a good comp. Yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot. And here's the thing with Bumgarner. Because he pitches in San Francisco, the ratios are still going to be good. Even including last year, his worst career ERA is 3.37. He's not going to get you the strikeouts. He's definitely not going to get you the wins in San Francisco. Sorry if you're a Giants fan who's optimistic, but I would put, I mean, if you win 70 games, I'd be shocked. Um, I, I just don't really see it for Mad Bum at this point. I'd rather take a flyer on Chris Archer. I'd take, you know, 130, 140 good Charlie Morton innings. Um, Zach Wheeler, Luis Castillo's up there for me. So yeah, I'm not going to have any shares of Mad Bum. Do you, do you like Chris Archer? Because that has no. been a point of contention on our podcast. Do you like him? 
I, I don't like him, but you know, I, okay. I draft him over Mad Bum. I don't have. Yeah. I, I got. I think I might have one share, and I don't feel good about it. But he fell far enough that I was like, okay, I'll take him. I like Chris Archer. Okay. I understand why people want it, but I, I think... with how far he's fallen, though, I don't understand how you can't just say, well, maybe I don't like him, but I mean, starting pitcher thirty, yeah. I mean, three straight years of two hundred thirty plus strikeouts. The, <laughs> yes. the conversation, I think, begins there, and and I think there are signs that he hasn't come close to his best self yet, and that could, you know, being in the NL for a full season and out of the AL East could be the start of that. You know, I would argue the same thing for you, Darvish, as well, who's going in a, a similar range, and I would rather have you, Darvish, his velocity is up this spring. He had two hundred and seventy-seven Ks in a season. Um, and he has, he wasn't great last year, but he talked about, you know, some psychological issues pitching in, in, uh, in Chicago. Clearly he was injured as well. Um, and I think he could bounce back to that 200, 230 strikeout mark. Um, who do you like better between those guys, Darvish and Archer? And let's throw Robbie Ray into the conversation as well. Uh, definitely Robbie Ray is a distant third for me. Okay. Uh, it's, it's Archer and Darvish. I like Archer more because, you know, they're, I don't know if Darvish is healthy. I don't know if he's on his last legs. I mean, there. I I suspect what happened to him last year. There was a story right before he went on the DL that his release point was inconsistent, and he was kind of tipping off his fastball, and the velocity was normal, and he wasn't getting nearly this number of swinging strikes on it. So it kind of all, all adds up. Yeah. Um. Also, what may be influencing it is I just know I can get Darvish later. Sure. But I think both are good pitchers to target beyond the ace tier because. They've both shown ace potential in the past, and that is in in an era where teams are asking much less from their starting pitchers, particularly the young up-and-comers, I think that is a big deal. If you've shown you can be an ace before, you have the best chance of being an ace again. So I like to, uh, when I'm filling out my pitching staff, I like to reach in and grab that um, Chris Archer, you Darvish, uh, I know you don't like this guy, but Herman Marquez is a guy I like because at least for half the season, he was basically Jacob deGrom. He was awesome, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, so those are those are pitchers I like to fill out my pitching staff with in the hopes that that's where I find that miracle extra ace that you're probably not going to find if you're just looking at ratios like we used to do. So I want to pick your mind about Marquez because I'm not opposed to drafting him. He's just going higher than I think he should go. But, you know, I'm, I'm open to changing my mind here. I know there's a lot of people that I really respect in the industry, including yourself, who are higher on him. Um, so why don't you make the case for all our listeners? So I think you have to start with, okay, this wasn't just random, the randomness of a baseball season, the, the way he turned his season around, which, by the way, began, I think, at the end of June. The first, second half splits don't even totally do it justice. He was Jacob deGrom for I think his last 17 starts, including how deep he was pitching into games, strikeout rate, ERA, all of that. Great great at Coors Field, too. Let's not great forget that. Great at Coors Field. 124 yeah. Ks in 93 innings. Yes, so Coors Field, look, I mean, that's always going to be a specter hanging over him like every other Rockies pitcher. When things start going wrong for a pitcher at Coors Field, it can unravel very quickly because they lose confidence in their abilities, start tweaking things they shouldn't tweak, and then they're bad everywhere. That's... That's so often what's happened to Rocky's pitcher. So far, Marquez seems to be overcoming it. Great. But yeah, it, it wasn't just, okay, value the full season numbers over the half season numbers. There was an actual change that happened in his delivery. He had been telegraphing his breaking balls his whole career, slowing his arm down on his delivery, and he changed it. He, he figured out how to make his arm, the motion of his arm look the same on those pitches as his fastball. So now... So then he went to pairing a 98-mile-per-hour fastball with two swing-and-miss breaking balls, and he was unhittable. And just the fact, like, I, I could understand weighing the downside more if he was going up there with, like, Walker Bueller and, um, you know, Trevor Bauer. If he was going in that group that I think he has the potential to be as good to, be, uh, to hang with in terms of production, okay, there's more downside there. But he's not. He's not going anywhere close. And... If you can find a pitcher who has demonstrated ace ability, I would prefer over a full season, but half a season, those that's what you want to populate your pitching staff with. He's gonna win games in Colorado. He struck yeah, out two hundred and thirty last year, and he and that was with significant improvement in the second half. I would say two fifty is his upside for strikeouts. Here's my concern. 
he was sub-replacement level with the ratios. And I'm not sure that that will continue, but it's just not... Um, I mean, would it surprise you if his ERA was above 4, if his whip was 1.25? John Gray was top 5 in XFIP in 2017, and we all know what happened there. And now they're totally different. They're different pitchers. John Gray also has really good stuff, but... Um, you know, not, he was not dominating people as much as Marquez. No. I'm no. just, I'm concerned that there is pretty big risk with the ratios here. By the way, John Gray is another pitcher I like to draft because I think he has demonstrated, uh, the ability to combine great ratios with big workload. Yeah. And you can get him much later. So he's another guy. Going to win games lot. too. But yeah, he's never had a stretch like Marquez did last year. And I think even if you take Marquez's numbers at face value, which you shouldn't because it was, very clear difference the pitcher he was in the first half and the second half, or really even, you know, not exactly halves, but you know what I mean. Um, but even if you take them at face value, just for the strikeouts and win potential, he's, he's I, I think his value is perfectly fine. Okay, and then yeah, that's fair. And factor an upside beyond that, that's who you want to take at the point of the draft he's going. That is the pick to make. So how often do you start Marquez and John Gray if they're on your team? Do you play them in course Field every time? Well, the thing about John Gray, too, he's... He's been as good, if not better, at home than on the road. It's The Rockies may have figured something out with those two. Uh, I I would go into the season planning on starting them every time. Okay. And, and obviously, if it doesn't work out, you adjust from there. But that that is my expectation for them when I'm drafting them. Okay. All right. Here's my next guy. And um, you know what? I think everyone on my list is just going to piss people off. So I apologize. Uh, Jamison Tyon, I know it's... I'm. I'm rooting for Jamison Tyon as much as anybody else. I mean, the guy is recovering from cancer, for goodness sake. I want him to do really well, but I don't buy into the narrative that he suddenly became an ace in the second half just because his ERA was so good. Um, his ERA was 2.33, first half 3.91, but the XFIP was exactly the same. He was the same pitcher. His Ks went backwards. Yeah, I I think he's a little short of ace upside. So if that's the expectation, it's it's probably too high. Yeah, I, I've got uh, him right there with uh, with David Price, except I think David Price is more reliable. I think we know exactly what we're going to get from Price. Not exactly the case with Tyon. I feel like Tyon. What's a good comparison? Maybe Zach Granke, except Zach Granke has shown higher peaks throughout his career, but he just seems. He he showed the ability to take on the workload of an ace last year, Tyone did. You're right. Uh, which is a big deal in 2019. And he showed enough strikeout potential and enough control that maybe that's enough. Like, maybe maybe passing him over for a Nick Pavetta, because you like Pavetta's ratios anymore, maybe that doesn't make sense. Because I mean, Pavetta, it, there's, there's just such a degree of provenness with starting pitchers now that uh, I think needs to be accounted for, and I don't think the industry is entirely caught up with. So that's kind of where I stand with Tyone. I, I like Pavetta, I but like... I would so much rather have Tyone. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, so I, I guess so I'm not. I guess I'm not that far off. I've got him down as my number twenty-six starting pitcher. Um, yeah, you know, reasonable. behind Robbie Ray, uh, Luis Castillo, Zach okay, Wheeler. Same... <laughs> now you don't like Robbie Ray, so I want I no. want to hear why because I've been hyping up Robbie Ray. The innings. Okay, I'm not sure he's ever going to get there. Uh, he's so inefficient. And, you know, I, I I was high on him going into last year. I think I was kind of viewing him through rose-tinted glasses. Do you, do you think there'll be good innings, though? I mean, 12.0 Ks per nine again, 12.1 the year before. I, I think this might be a difference in draft philosophy between the two of mm-hmm. us because I like to get these, you know, steady, safe ratio guys with innings concerns and just get seven or eight of them and hope four or five of them turn out because I think that there's some um, some value in the draft capital that you spend there, but... I mean, I can understand saying, I, I don't know if he's ever, I think his ceiling is probably 180 k- uh, innings pitch, and that would be phenomenal if we could get that. Yeah, I think definitely a difference of philosophy, because steadiness, the first place I I go is innings. Because if if you're not getting the innings, what are you getting? I mean, in Ray's case, he's such an outlier with the strikeout rate that you're probably getting strikeouts either way. But a lot of these guys who are, you know, more than a strikeout per inning, oh, it looks pretty good. But, you know, if they're going four or five innings, it doesn't add up to that many strikeouts. So, um, and then wins obviously suffer as well. In, in Ray's case, I, I just think the whip's going to be high in pretty much any scenario because he hasn't figured out how not to walk batters. 
and it really became an issue last year, but it wasn't great two years ago either. But really the main difference between last year and two years ago is Babbitt. And particular looking at the full batted ball profile, last year looks a lot closer to being true Robbie Ray than two years ago. So uh, the walks combined with, you know, it, it's not like he's super hittable, but more hits than you'd probably expect for a guy with his strikeout rate. Okay. All right. Who do you have for your next bust? Okay. So we kind of talked about Fulton Evich already. I won't mention him. Um, I think, I feel like Kyle Freeland and Ian Desmond are pretty obvious just because the underlying ratios don't back up their numbers at all. Uh, I just don't want the, any part of them at their going rate or otherwise. I don't know if I'd draft Kyle Freeland at the end of drafts. I think I'd rather have uh, Chris Paddock or Matt Strom. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's a case where the innings aren't enough for me because it's the worst pitcher's environment by far. Not a good strikeout rate, not a good walk rate, not a good ground ball rate, or at least not a great ground ball rate. Like what? I thought you were well talking about Strom for a second, and I was I was going to have to throw no. down. <laughs> no, Freeland, Freeland. Uh, okay, so let's focus on uh, – this is another fun name, I guess. Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw. Another name on my list. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of – because he's had this preseason shoulder injury, which doesn't sound like a big deal, and he may even avoid a DL stint, but because he has it, I he's actually fallen to a point where I'm okay taking him, which is what I could foresee happening for Fulton Evich eventually, but it hasn't yet. But Kershaw, it, it's happened a couple times. So this is more of a bust pick from the perspective of it could just totally bottom out. I don't. If he I, shut I down for the season, think, would it surprise you? With the shoulder thing, yeah, that would surprise me. And okay. even with the back stuff. I mean, we know he's not going to have an ace workload again because, and, and I don't know if you've ever read uh, Dr. Mike Tanner. He publishes things for Fangraphs sometimes now. He's awesome. He is awesome. He is the best at giving injury um, prognoses that I've come across, certainly for baseball. And, I mean, he, he kind of led me down the path of calling Daniel Murphy a bust last year. And it you should have told me, man. Should, I drafted table. him everywhere. Yeah, it, it basically <laughs> followed Dr. Mike Tanner's timetable exactly. Um, so I am all in on that. It's a big reason why I'm higher than Jose Altuve um, than most anybody else in the industry. Um, Interesting. Looking at looking at Mike Tanner's breakdown of that injury last year, the fractured kneecap. But anyway, getting back to Kershaw, we know he's not going to give an ace workload anymore because with his back. And the what the way it the weakness that it causes in all his other muscles, he needs periodic periods of rest. So that's the starting point. But last year we really saw it impact the stuff in a way we hadn't seen before. Less than a strikeout per inning from Clayton Kershaw and the velocity being down. Like that that um Mad Madison Bumgarner hanging by a thread. I don't think Kershaw's that far off from that. And he's not it's not looking as dire for him, but it's a it, bummer. It's, I loved seeing him be the best pitcher in the last 20. Well, I don't know. Pedro Martinez was amazing, but Clayton Kershaw is like historically good. And all of a sudden it's falling apart. And what's especially frustrating about it. If we just want to, you know, get frustrated. Is <laughs> it, it all started because he had a 17 hour flight back from Australia. The year that the Dodgers opened their season there. He had a bad back and the back hasn't been right since. Wow. I did not <laughs> even realize that. That's awful. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it's, I, I think realistically he's about who he was last year again. And that's worth drafting in round seven of a 12 team league. Okay. You know, as your second starting pitcher. Okay. That's a I'll good spot for me. I'd take him there. Yeah. I, I've been able to do that in a couple leagues, but um, even then it's not, it, it, I don't feel easy about it. Like it, it seems like this could end up being a disastrous end to his career. Man, that's such a bummer. But I agree. I've got him right now as my starting pitcher, 18. So let me give you a few names, okay? Let's say these guys are all sitting on the board. Zach Grinke, Jack Flaherty, Steven Strasburg, Mike Clevenger, and Clayton Kershaw. Where would you put Kershaw on that list? Would you take him first out of those out of that group? I would go Grinke, then Strasburg. Uh, Clevenger is about the same range I'd take Kershaw. Yeah. I'd take him ahead of Flaherty. Um, on a, like, cause you mentioned Granky, like that's, that's a guy I'm trying to get everywhere. Cause I have zero concerns about Zach Granky. And while he's not probably not contending for a Cy Young award, 
He's given the workload. He's given the ratios. He's an ace. You know exactly who he is. His ratios are going to yeah. be incredible. He's going to win games because he pitches deep in the game. He's going to pile up the strikeouts because of the volume. Um, and it's not going to be especially sexy. Like he, like you said, he's not going to compete for Cy Young Award or anything. But 200 innings in four of the last five seasons? I, yeah. Yep. I'll, I'll sign up for that. <laughs> fifth round, that's my pick. Like basically every draft, if he's still there, and usually he is, that's my guy. Hopefully, he's my second starting pitcher. But even if it's my first, I feel okay about it. Yeah, yeah. You're the first person I've heard say that you like Zach Grinky as well, and I haven't really talked about him all that much. But you know what? I have quite a few shares of him because of exactly what you're talking about. There all right, go. I'm going to lump in two names here together, and uh, neither of them are because of how talented the players are or how I think they'll produce. It's how often I think they will play. Um, James Paxton has no injury concern now, but over the last five full seasons, he averages 110 innings per year. Uh, he's moving from Seattle to New York in that American League East where they've got a lot of hitters there. Uh, the ballpark's not good. Paxton already had home run issues in Seattle. Um, I, I'm just, I, I can't do it at the ADP. You want to talk about guys who are risky. He's a guy who could pitch 90 innings and then be done. Uh, Bryce Harper, same kind of thing. Uh, I know that Everyone likes to think that he's durable because he played a lot last year, but he still averages 30 games missed per season over the last six years. That is a lot for a guy that a lot of people are going to be taking the late first round. I'm not doing that. I'd, I'd grab him at the end of the second. He's not going to be there, though. Hmm. You're right. Yeah. I mean, Br- Bryce Harper's an interesting case because the upside for him, realistic upside, is second best hitter in baseball. Let's say third best hitter in baseball because Betts has really become like a clone of Mike Trout almost. Third best hitter in baseball. I mean, at his best, he hits for average. You know? 330. Yeah. And the power, there's no questions about the power. Uh, certainly if you're in a league that rewards on-base ability at all. And now that he's in Philly, he's he great. could hit 45 homers. Yeah. 120 yeah, I mean, RBIs. I had issues taking him in the first round. In the second round, even early in the second round, I know you're saying not until late, but even early in the second round where he, he tends to go. I'm okay with it at that point. Okay. There's, I mean, I, like, I think Charlie Blackman has as much upside. He was the number one fantasy player two years ago, he, and he's really consistent. Um, you look at what he's done year to year. He's going to bat 300 for you every year, 30 homers, yeah, I mean, double-digit steals. Too. He's great, too. He's, you know, second round. I'd, I'd rather have Harper because okay. I think Blackman is showing some evidence of age decline, uh, mainly reflected in how— the defensive drop off last year. My goodness. Sure. He was, yeah. he was le- worth less. He was less than one war last year on baseball reference because his defense was so bad. Wow. I did not realize it. Did you see his yeah. jump shot in that video? It was horrible. He <laughs> no. <laughs> was wearing these like white tight short shorts too. Don't, <laughs> don't go looking for the video. So yeah. you'd rather have Jose Altuve. Um, what about yeah. Francisco Lindor, Trey Turner, Aaron judge? Would you rather have those guys than Bryce Harper? I would rather not have. You said Lindor. You said Lindor, I'm Turner, sorry. and Judge. Oh, Turner and, a, and Turner and a standard five by five, which I understand that's that's mainly what we're talking about. Here. Sure, uh, we do points leagues a lot on CBS. It's like half our audience. So yeah, and stand five by five. I mean Trey Turner because Dave um, Dave Martinez says he wants him attempting seventy steals this year. I mean that's. <laughs> talking that sounds about good steals to me. being <laughs> scarce, and that's how you like. And steals are. Like this, I I don't feel like this is discussed enough. Steals are mostly a matter of choice, you know. Yeah. Like, you could be a bad race base runner and steal a bunch of bases if they let you. We've seen it with some really slow guys: Yadi Molina, fifteen steals; Albert Pools, fifteen steals; Paul O'Neill, twenty steals. You know. So certainly, if somebody, if you're somebody like Turner, as fast as that, if you want the steals, if your team wants you to get the steals, you're going to get the steals. Yeah. At least in theory. I mean, they have to back up the talk, but the talk is awfully nice and I think means more for stolen bases than anything else. So, yeah, uh, so yeah, he definitely needs to go in the first round. Uh, I think I have him eighth overall. So he, he's but he's the only one I would take over Harper because okay. uh, I'm a downer about Lindor with this calf injury. Uh, I actually passed him up. I picked fourth in, in t- the only Tout Wars draft I think that's happened so far is the one I'm in. And it's the draft, the online draft. And most of them are auctions. That was earlier in March. I had a chance to take Lindor. I picked fourth of 15 teams. So what does that end up being in the second round? I guess 27th? 
Wow. I had a chance to take him 27th overall, and I didn't. Wow. And part of it was because I knew the scarcity of aces was coming, and a 15-team league, I took Blake Snell. Oh, I love I, that. I just, I just didn't want to get burned at starting pitching. But part of it's because even if the, he meets the most optimistic timetable, let's say he's even back opening day. It's not outside the realm of possibility. You know, the calf, I mean, he's going to be favoring that all year. He's not going to steal 25 bases again. Lower body injuries are killer for power, too. Okay. I mean, I hadn't even been factoring that in. I was mostly thinking he's going to bottom out the steals potential because why ask him to run when he had that severe of an injury on that finicky of a body part? And he's got to play play shortstop on it, too. I mean, Josh Donaldson, it ruined his season, a calf injury. And, and, you know, this was given an initial timetable of seven to nine weeks. That's a severe strain. Yeah. Uh, So I'm... Yeah, I, I, I think it's way too risky for that high of a pick. I That's mean, fair. Harper, I feel like the downside, okay, maybe he gets hurt, but, you know, it's it's there's not a specific injury concern. It's just he tends to, he's had some injuries in the past. Okay. You know, You're right. That's a good way to put again. it. He hits 240 again, but maybe with 40 homers, certainly with a ton of RBI and runs scored, because even with a low batting average, he's getting on base a lot. Yeah. I think in the second round, there's not a lot that can go wrong with the Bryce Harper pick. And a lot could go right. You're right. That's Okay, that's a good way to put it. I like that a lot. Um, let me ask you two more guys, okay? Manny Machado, Alex Bregman. Would you take Bryce Harper over them? I would take Harper over Machado, but not Bregman. Okay. All right, Scott, why don't you uh, give us one more name, and then I've got one more name for us to round out the show. Okay, so this is kind of the anti-stat head pick. So we'll, we'll see where you stand on it. Okay. But um, <laughs> uh, Matt Carpenter. Oh, I'm down on Matt Carpenter. And I'm a Cardinals fan. Down on Matt Carpenter or down with Matt Carpenter? Down on Matt Carpenter. Okay. I have him marked as a, as a void. And it's not so much that I think he's awful or anything yeah. like that. It's, you know, obviously the power is going down. There's just so many second basemen that I want to get. Why would I take Matt Carpenter? Whit Merrifield, Alberto <laughs> Mondesi, Daniel Murphy, Scooter Jeanette, Robinson Cano, Ragnetto Dorr, Jonathan Villar. I would take any three of those guys, put one at utility. I'm not touching Matt Carpenter at ADP 60, 50, whatever it is. Well, that's interesting that you that's the starting point because he's not even eligible at second base in CBS leagues. I, that okay. wasn't even part of my equation with him. Uh, it's more about, uh, okay, so first, just to counter the positive argument. The positive argument for Matt Carpenter is he's always had elite line drive rate, recent years elite fly ball rate. Why isn't he getting the production? Why isn't he getting the power? For a middle, a four-month stretch in the middle of last season, he finally did. Okay, this is true Matt Carpenter. This is what we've been waiting for. But then he hits 160 in September, and it's like, okay, this is Matt Carpenter, yeah, right? Yep. This, is, this is what always happens. He has a tendency to play through injuries, I feel like, is a lot of it. We don't even hear about them much of the time. And he's 33 now, so that's only going to get worse. And he's playing he third base instead of first base this year. Most likely, he's a batting average liability. Um, and then, I mean, if 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 there is really anything that any extended health issue that pops up, he's he's not hitting thirty homers again either. So, yeah, I would much rather have Jose Abreu, who tends to go in the same range. And I don't really see much reason to think his drop off last year is something we expect to to continue going forward. You know, at third base, third base is the deepest position. So I don't even ever have reason to consider Carpenter there. I mean, give me Justin Turner later. Sure. I like that. Even Mikhail Franco. I mean, what is he? Uh, Third baseman number 25 or something on most lists. I'll wait for him and grab him the 20th round. Yeah, pretty much every range of third base is deep. The high end, the middle end, the low end. There's always options there. Yep, you're right. All right, so I mentioned Carpenter and Franco, and um, I, I just want to compare their consensus projections. Again, this is from like seven sources. We've got Carpenter... Batting 253, Franco batting 258. Neither of them are going to steal bases. 75 RBIs for Carpenter, 78 for Franco. 28 homers for Carpenter, 24 for Franco. The difference is runs. And that's a pretty big difference. But, I mean, we're also talking about a difference in ADP of 150 picks. Yeah. I mean, the difference is runs because, and and this is another, like, points leagues versus, like, if you do play in points leagues, Carpenter ends up being a lot better because he gets on base so much. Yeah. Walks count. And that obviously impacts runs in Roto. The other difference, and this is one that you can't really sum up with projections. I think this is kind of the downside of projections as an evaluation um, source. Is that they they really just give you one potential outcome. 
And obviously the range of outcomes for Carpenter goes way higher yeah. than Franco. And that has to be factored into the difference as well. But the the point being, like you can replace if you're if you're not high on Carpenter meeting his upside, you can find his kind of numbers much later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one thing with Carpenter is everyone thinks he's trending up. You look at his numbers, and really, that's not the case. He's been this same player for the past four years. He just had one really hot month, and he stayed healthy the whole year. Yeah, I mean, that that makes a big difference. Absolutely. Okay, here's my last name, and uh, this is not on anyone's radar as a bust as as far as I'm aware, but uh, Roberto Ozuna, I'm not convinced he's going to hang on to the closer job in Houston because they've got Ryan Presley there, who is just, he was light years better last season. I mean, you want to compare their stats here. Roberto Ozuna, 372 XFIP. Ryan Presley, 258. More than a full run higher. Uh, K percentage, Roberto Ozuna, 21.3. That's that's disgusting for a closer. Ryan Presley, 35%. I think the moment Ozuna slips up, this is Ryan Presley's job. They're not going to mess around. I know they traded for Ozuna for him to be the closer, but uh, closer is mm-hmm. such a fickle position. I think you've got one of the best in the game in Ryan Presley, and I think his time is coming. It's weird what happened to Ozuna's strikeouts last year. I don't really understand it. And he was he was good in spite of it. I, I don't, you know, even FIP. I mean, he had a 245 FIP. So I, I haven't heard that take before. Maybe Presley could overtake Ozuna. I think maybe the Astros, especially with Ken Giles, got tired of the whole uh, chasing saves. Yeah. Situation. It's weird because they kind of introduced the era of true closer committees. And now I think they, <laughs> they kind of got scared off from it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I just I don't really know what to make of Ozuna. I feel like his I feel like his security is pretty good. Okay, just because of um, I mean sub sub one whip, he's good. Um, but the case per nine yeah. dropping from eleven point seven to seven point yeah. six. That's weird. I, I don't, don't know. I don't know if he's hurt or what's going on. The closer that concerns me, if I can sneak one more, in do there, it is Kenley Jansen. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm not even. Yeah. There's no chance I'm drafting a closer in the top one hundred, and Kenley Jansen's going in the fifth round or something like that so yeah but why do you say that? that's what i don't get like he's being drafted like last year never happened and i understand a lot of it was april but even when he quote unquote turned things around the strikeout rate uh, you know like in k per nine the um swinging strike rate they were both down considerably from his normal range still good by typical closer standards but a big drop off by his own standards and that was yeah. just with an a- average fastball velocity drop of one mile per hour and there's there have been more concerns about his velocity this spring like maybe he's just on a downward spiral with the velocity there and if we saw that much change in his numbers with a one mile per hour drop uh, it's I, I could see this having a disastrous finish. I, I kind of tried with my bust list this year to not just, because I also have an undervalued list, and okay, how am I going to differentiate these? Bust list, I tried to aim for guys who I just saw having, like, total, there's a chance he could totally bottom out. Yeah. And I see that risk there um, for Jansen, just like I described it for Bumgarner and, and Kershaw. Okay. Yeah, and when you look at Kenley Jansen, you can't find a single stat that's better than Trevor May. Trevor May, I think, is going to be the closer in Minnesota. And Trevor May was absolutely dominant. If you can wait and get a Trevor May or Jordan Hicks, I mean, Pedro Strope's going super late in drafts. He's the closer in Chicago, and he may hang on to that job even when Brandon Morrow comes back. I, mm-hmm. I don't understand why you would take Kenley Jansen in the first five rounds. It's just ludicrous to me. Yeah, I haven't taken a closer in the first five rounds yet. I have taken one as early as round six if it's Diaz or Trinan. Okay. Uh, because They're going to help this those was ratios one of, this a is ton. One of the That's fine. Biggest... This is one of the biggest philosophical changes for me this year, and I don't even know that it's going to be proven right. But uh, like with the Trevor May, okay, I certainly see the potential. I hope he's the closer. They have a million candidates for that role. And even if he ends up being the front runner because so many teams are going to a true committee now, I mean, they, they've always said they would in the past, yeah. but they'd eventually settle on one guy. That that didn't happen last year. Several teams stuck with a true committee. And I feel like we're going, now that we've started down that path, we're going to see more and more of it. You're right. So the guy who has a firm grip on that role, I think it's, 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 it's scarcer. I mean, you're, it, you're not going to find 30 saves as easily as you could in the past. Yeah. I don't think. Um, so I've been trying to get, not necessarily trying to get like a high end Trinan or, or whoever, uh, if it's good value, fine. But like, I don't want to drop out of the 
like Jose Leclerc, Kirby Yates. Range. Yeah, those are the two where I'm starting to look at closers because I like those guys so much. Yeah. I mean, the ratios are great, and they seem to have the job all to themselves. Sure. Yep. All right, Scott. Well, that's all for today's show. Again, really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I know it's a really busy time of the year. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and it was a lot of fun. I, I adjusted my rankings, learned a lot of stuff. It was good, good banter. <laughs> yeah, good talking to you, too. This is fun. All right, guys, we've got more episodes coming up next week, so make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future episodes. For Scott White, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your baseball. <laughs> <laughs>